What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we are going to go through our coaching carousel and transfer portal news. I'm going to give you takes. We're going to go through my top five impact transfers as they have come out as of Monday, December 5th, when literally everybody you know went into the portal, and we'll see who comes out. Not everybody, but 10% of college football did enter the portal. I'm going to talk about what that means for the sport. And I want to go through some outstanding coaching hires and why I'm excited already about the 23-23 season as we are headed toward bowl season. So let's get started with the biggest news coming out of last weekend was not actually Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, and Texas Christian making the college football playoff, but the announcement of Deion Sanders leaving Jackson State to become the new head coach at Colorado. And I have sung the praises of this hire. I've sung the praises of this hire because Dion did what he believes is best for him and best for his career. All right. I had said I wanted him to wait for something that was really outstanding, like Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, somewhere in the upper echelon, the top tier of top tier of college football. But he decided to make the move to Colorado. And the more I look at this, the more I talk myself into it. Plus, there's no point in rehashing a point that you made that is no longer valid. It's why we change our opinions, because the facts on the ground change, right? One of the facts of life is that Deion Sanders being in Boulder, Colorado, could not be more interesting to me. Because I don't think I'm speaking out of school when I say Boulder, Colorado is one of the lily white places in all of this country. And it doesn't really feel like a place that is going to be ingratiating to Deion Sanders and Coach Prime's image until you unpack it. Okay, so Colorado doesn't really have an identity and it hasn't really been relevant since Joel Klatt played quarterback. And I don't know if you know, but he calls a college football game every now and again on Fox. He's been doing that for quite a long time. Okay, the other part about this that I find rather interesting is that Rick George, athletic director at Colorado and Colorado had set themselves up to win the Deion Sanders sweepstakes. Why? Because. They had hired not one, but two black head coaches before him. And you might not think that is a big deal, but I'm going to say that if you don't think that's a big deal, you're probably not black. I'm very black. I'm proud to be very black. And I look at the dearth of college football coaches among the power five, and I look at the majority of the players being black, and I say there's an inequity here. We can fix this, right? The Pac-12 has actually, quite honestly, been really good about this. Herm Edwards was head coach at Arizona State. Kevin Sumlin was head coach at Arizona. And of course, we're talking about Carl Durrell, who was the last head coach, permanent head coach at Colorado. And I don't care if Carl Durrell did get fired. It's quite a thing to say you were succeeded by the greatest, or I should say one of the greatest American athletes of all time. Full stop. College football Hall of Famer and NFL Pro Hall of Famer. The only dude that we can all remember going both ways won Super Bowls, right, and is generally considered one of the most dynamic sports personalities, period. The man has been behind the chair, the man has been on the field, and now the man has been an outstanding football coach. So when he first got to Jackson State, one of the things that he said, he felt like he was called to Jackson State. And I went with that because I don't know what the man's heart was like, and I know that Jackson State could use him. And I wondered, like everybody else, could he actually win? I mean, it's Jackson State. It's an HBCU. They do not have the budget that you are used to seeing on the programs that we talk about most on this show, right? But he got there in the middle of a plague and turned out a winner. 
And not only did he turn out a winner, they won a SWAC championship. And then the next year, right, they were outstanding. And then this year, they are 12-0 with a SWAC championship, the best season they've had in school history. And that is at a place that is in the middle of a water crisis that also has its own facility problems. And you're asking, why is Deion Sanders deciding to leave this place that he had pledged to? Because he does what every other college football coach does. Nobody yelled at James Franklin when he left Vanderbilt to go to Penn State. Nobody left, uh, yelled at Mel Tucker when he left Colorado to go to Michigan State. But all of a sudden, because Deion Sanders has decided to leave an HBCU, we have, shall we say, a fraught conversation. The way that I genuinely look at this is what does it mean for the people involved and then go from there. So what does it mean for Dion? It means he hits the backing and, quite frankly, the money of a Power 5 program that is itching to be relevant, that is itching to be in shows like this one, to come off the lips of the folks that you listen to talk about college football the most. Hiring Coach Prime does that. But I'm going to give it back to Bo Jackson on this when they were looking at him for Auburn, which is to say, are you ready for the Coach Prime experience? And you got a piece of that in this widely disseminated viral video of Coach Prime showing up with cameras behind him to talk to the players that were at Colorado. Some of them will remain. Not a lot of them will. When he said things will change. I brought my luggage and it's Louie. I'm bringing some dogs with me. One of which is the number one recruit in the class of 2022, we think, right? And Travis Hunter. I'd be shocked if he doesn't end up at Colorado. And the other we know about. Quarterback, Shadur Sanders. A man some of y'all really love. And others, like your man Robert Griffin III, try to put into a Heisman conversation even as he plays in a lower division because he really is that good. Shadur Sanders showing up to be quarterback Colorado is what you want, right? But it's also not unlike what I've seen in years past. And sometimes it blows up. When the coach makes his kid the quarterback, he either has to be really, really damn good or everybody's going to be on his head and on his father's head. And guess what Shadur Sanders has turned out to be? Really, really damn good. And on the other side of the ball, his brother Shiloh ain't nothing to sneeze at, okay? So for Dion, it is absolutely the next step in his maturation as a head coach. And when you go 27-5 and five and you win two conference championships, you are a wanted man. And that's what happens when you are coaching at a lower division. Nobody said anything to Lance Leipold when he decided to go to Buffalo coming from a lower division, right? But because of Dion, because of what he means to black folks in particular, but what he means to the sport, all of this energy is coming to him. And I think some of it is quite frankly unfair. If you want to tell me that you disagree with his ability to move, I'm going to say, cool, that's fine. Disagree. But to shout it down, it's just wrong. I, I feel this personally myself because when I took this job, the same thing was said about me, right? I don't care about Oklahoma football anymore, which anybody working on this show could tell you is the farthest thing from the truth. But my job is to cover national college football conversation. That means talking about the things that reach the broadest amount of people. And it's really difficult to recruit to a place like Jackson State, not because of an HBCU, but because you go from 63 scholarship to 85 at Colorado. You go from perhaps having maybe a million dollars at your disposal, if you're lucky, right? If you're lucky, to having 10 times that at Colorado. What he will ask for, he will get. There will be no asking for it. It'll just be showing up saying, what else do you need? We will get you everything you need to build a winner. And that's what he's going to do at Colorado. So what does that mean for Colorado? Man, they're going to have a good time. They're going to have such a damn good time because Prime is a party. And he's a party in such a way that we're already salivating 
at some of these games on Colorado's schedule. Like we have already identified USC is going to Colorado, that they have to play Nebraska, that they get to play Texas Christian in Fort Worth, which is frankly Deion Sanders' backyard, to open the season. You have never heard anybody be excited about Colorado football in this way. Not in your lifetime. We got to take it back to maybe Gary Barnett, maybe, you know, maybe Cordell Stewart, maybe, you know, maybe Michael Westbrook going over the top of Ty Lawson's head or Ty Law, excuse me, his head, maybe. Nah, this is, this is cause for celebration. And in the Pac-12, goodness me, you're going to watch USC, UCLA go out the door. And we're talking about your conference having to scrounge, if not being irrelevant in the years to come. And that was the preseason. By December, you are replacing Prime with USC head coach, or excuse me, you are replacing USC head coach Lincoln Riley with Prime, right? And to this point, I will say it again. I've been loud about it, okay? What Lincoln Riley did at USC, I expect Deion Sanders to do at Colorado. What he did was go into the portal with a quarterback that everybody wanted to play with already in the bag and say, do you want to play with us? Do you want to change the program? Do you want to turn this into the Mecca of college football? By the way, just as a side note, y'all can stop saying Mecca. It's a holy place. All right. Let's stop using that one. All right. That's that's wrong. Like, like, stop saying Mecca. Just say you wanted to be the center of college football. And that's enough. So we're talking about Lincoln Riley being a change agent that wins 11 games and you feel let down by it. Holy smokes. They make the Pac-12 championship after going four and eight and they get beat by Utah and they still might have the Heisman Trophy winner. Come on. That is on the table for Prime because Prime, like my favorite football coach of all time, Jimmy Johnson said, no, I'm going to recruit and I'm going to let y'all play. Okay. Long as you play with integrity, you play with character. We will go win some football games. I'll take care of all the rest. All you got to do is follow the rules and go play hard. And that's what he has promised, right? And what they did at Jackson State was just that. They played hard. They beat everybody they played. And nobody has been close, frankly. And that's outstanding. So what does this mean for the sport? It means that now the SEC has to pay attention. The Big Ten has to pay attention. Uh, Every one of the 130 FBS programs is watching this with very – very close energy and close eyes. Like, way I look at this is, let's say that he goes and does what Lincoln Riley does in the portal, and then you get to watch that in spring game. It also probably means we're going to be watching Colorado spring game on television because this is the way to underline what Coach Prime was able to do at Jackson State. Normally, there are like four spring games that matter. Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Nebraska, right? Because Nebraska sells out spring game, and it's just what they do. Prime succeeded in getting Jackson State spring game on national television. I'm sorry, what? That's never happened before. And it probably will not happen again because in our sport, it ain't the quarterbacks that move the needle as much as we like to say. It's certainly not defensive players because every time I try to talk about a defensive player, y'all don't really, y'all not interested in Will Anderson. But what we are interested in is what did Nick Saban do? What did Kirby Smart do? What is Jimbo Fisher going to do? What is Ryan Day going to do? And now, what is Prime going to do? Because he has ascended to the top of the hierarchy, and as far as, yeah, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, that's fun, but I want to see what that's going to be. And what is the ceiling for a Colorado? Winning? If they go 8-4 and next year, nobody's going to be mad in Boulder, okay? However, if HBCUs, in particular Jackson State, goes 8-4 next year, they'll go, we could have been 12-0. 
and they want to put that on Dion's head. And I, I, I disagree with that because Dion didn't do anything that is untoward or controversial inside the sport. Coaches leave 18 hours after coaching their last game all the time. It's actually part of the schedule we look forward to the most because we get the most to talk about. We get to talk about new coaching hires, new coordinators, new identities, new beginnings. But here, because Deion Sanders is black and so very black and loves talking about being black, we're going to talk about it as if it is something new. Nah, man. I understand being upset if you are a Jackson State fan or even we're rooting for Jackson State, mainly just adjacent to a Jackson State fan because your coach leaving you is something I'm familiar with. It happened to me 13 months ago and it took some time to get over and I wish Lincoln Riley well, but I do that. I don't know that the rest of the state does that. As a matter of fact, I'm sure the rest of the state feels some kind of way about Lincoln Riley going to LA, especially as this is a flyover state and not a whole hell of a lot of people care about it unless our football team is amazing or there's been some natural disaster, right? So the way I look at how HBCUs feel, but Jackson State goes back to the 1970s. I think of college football as having become modern, not after World War II, but in 1970 with integration. And along with integration, we got to see, hey, these games actually matter in that on Saturdays, you would have two teams play. Maybe what one team would play this again, one game, two teams, right? So this bevy of games that we see now was not what you had. But those teams that played on those games got paid. The teams that didn't didn't get paid. It's all about television revenue. So Division One, Division One AA come into fruition to basically satiate those two smaller programs and bigger uh, programs. So with the bigger program, you have an opportunity to play on Saturday if you're Ohio State, Penn State, Alabama. But if you are Grambling, FAMU, Jackson State, probably not. So they said, you can choose to be Division I AA or you can choose to be FBS. We will guarantee you some money in Division I AA or you can take your shot at being the game of the week. Guess what? Jackson State's not going to beat out Ohio State or Oklahoma for one of those games, okay? So they took the money, which is what everybody else would do. And they were fine with that until it became clear that, A, that model was no longer sustainable. So 1984, Georgia and Oklahoma sued the NCAA to break up this monopoly that it had on who got to say what games were being played. And then you get these new conferences that have banded together to negotiate the best television deal for their members. And the SWAC and the MEAC, for all intents and purposes, don't engage in those sorts of conversations because they don't have Ohio State, Alabama, or Oklahoma. They have what has been traditionally our schools. So ours being black folks for the folks that don't, can't see me on podcast. And they were our schools because these were the things that we needed during segregation. These were the places where we received our education. These are the places where we were able to learn the skills and trade to make for a better life when it was illegal for us to do such a thing until Brown v. Board of Education. So when people ask me, why do they still need HBCUs? Because that's our history. That is our heritage. That is our heart. I am one of just two people in my family that did not go to an HBCU. And the way I always looked at that was, okay, cool. I have family. I can go there. I can blend in. But it's never going to be the same because the community that folks talk about being at HBCU when you were around like-minded people, but also people that understand you, understand how you come up. And you don't have to think about being the only black person in a room. You don't have to think about how am I going to explain to this 
person that it's just hard for me to go out at night or that I'm afraid of police. At HBCU, you were given an opportunity to find out what that was like. To see that go away, I think would be a tragedy. But the funding needs to be there. And frankly, there aren't enough black folks in the world to just fund HBCUs. I'll say it in this way. It's about numbers. 7% of the United States is black and male. 7%. We don't all play football. <laughs> and even fewer go to HBCUs. So when you talk about big time donors, talk about billionaires and millionaires being able to shell out money to go get whatever coach they want, show me the ones that went to an HBCU. There's a billionaire went to Morehouse. Morehouse's football team is not really what they're about. <laughs> show me that person at Jackson State at Southern, Grambling, Prairie View a and it's difficult. It's hard because we opted for places like the University of Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, Texas, because the trappings are there. You are able to enter into a conversation that is much more inclined to hear what you have to say if you went to TU or OU. Everything else you have to fight and claw for. But your family, the people you rely on, that's, that's your community. And so many of those people go to HBCUs for me. It's why you hear me throwing up the hooks, right? It's why you hear me talking about my mama throwing up that dynasty side. It matters. I don't think that's going to change for Dion. Sure as hell not going to change for me. And I have worked really hard on really talking about the stuff I love on this show that I'm privileged to do. And I really love that primetime, Neon Dion, and all of the tall tales will be at the University of Colorado because you're going to get to find out just what it means for one of our best to be over there with you. And I can't wait to find out what two Americas are like. All right, let's go from talking about one of my favorite hires of this cycle to my favorite hires of this cycle, all right? So I talked about Dion. He's at number one. You don't need to hear me rehash that, okay? Next on the list for me, Luke Fickle at Wisconsin, because that is as fit as fit gets. Matter of fact, put that man on a wad. You know, work out of the day for y'all that don't CrossFit. And I understand if you don't, but like, you know, whatever. Luke Fickle is that dude that you envision at Wisconsin. Defensive-minded, gritty, tough, want to run the ball, want to run the ball on people, wants to be hard. That's what Madison is, is hard. They find a quarterback. Look out, Wisconsin's going to be right back there to challenge you for the Big Ten West. That's outstanding. I really love that for them, and I love that for the sport, especially as the Big Ten is going to get a lot bigger. I say not a lot bigger, two teams bigger in just two years' time. Outstanding for them, and not unlike Dion, a man that was making the natural leap to the next step, okay? Stepping stone to Cincinnati, it's to Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a Yankees job. People don't leave it, okay? By the way, Colorado is only a spot for Dion for a couple of years. Don't be shocked because somebody else will come to get him. I'm telling you, he wins right away. He won't be at Colorado very long. All right, next on the list for me, right, after that dude that went 57 and 18 with three double-digit seasons and two conference titles before, you know, going off to Wisconsin, being the first group of five team to ever make college football playoff, is Matt Rule at Nebraska. Now, I didn't think that this hire would happen. Not because I don't think Matt Rule is a fit, but because Matt Rule is getting $40 million to sit on his couch, okay? But apparently, the appeal of coaching and coaching at Nebraska, I might add, was too much for this man to pass up. 
and shout to Trev Albert, who pulled a rabbit out of the hat as far as I'm concerned, and going to get the one guy that I do believe can rebuild that program in a modern time and get Nebraska back to relevant. I don't know that Nebraska is ever going to be what it was in the late 90s, mid 90s, and even early 2000s. But we know that Matt Rule built a winner at Temple. We know that the record's 19 and 20 at Baylor. But we're also talking about a Sugar Bowl and a 10 win season in his third year with the Bears before taking the job at Carolina to be the Panthers. He is a renowned program builder. He's that dude you want who's taking over your crappy program and turning it into something that is outstanding and great and to do it with integrity. My favorite story about Matt Rule is just how much he really relies on his open door policy, which is to say, hey, I'm watching Monday Night Football and I ordered a big spread of Popeyes. Come through, guys. And if you don't come through, he will go find you because Matt Rule wants you to know him and he wants to know you. And I got to tell you, the chemistry between people is what makes things go, what makes things work. Being able to talk, being able to understand what moves that person and why. You'll see that on the field. And I can't wait because Nebraska fans deserve it. It's a great fan base. Y'all are rabid about it. I was fortunate to make my first trip there earlier this year. I can't wait to see what you look like in a couple of years. And I think it's going to take that long. So be patient with him. But he signed a long-term deal. And goodness me, find a conference more stacked with head coaches outside the Big Ten. It's hard. Maybe you go to the SEC. But outside of that, ugh, it's going to be tough over there. All right. Next on the list for me, Trent Dilfer at University of Alabama, Birmingham, otherwise known as UAB. Favorite quote from him was, uh, tell the Southeast I'm coming to breathe fire. They're dragons, they're blazers. I love that. This is a man who took over Lipscomb Academy and turned it into a winner by hiring good people and being an outstanding quarterbacks coach. I think not unlike Dion, you can see a through line here, using his star power to recruit widely and heavily to a real, real football-rich program and one that deserves every bit of its winning. It's going to be fun to watch because dudes want to play for Trent Dilfer. It's like they want to play for Dion because they know what he was on NFL Live. They know he's got a Super Bowl ring. They hear him, and they say, that dude knows football. Also, not for nothing, but running Elite 11, that's a great recruiting tool for him. I don't think he gets to do that anymore, but that was pretty outstanding because you'll also know he's the dude that identified C.J. Stroud at Elite 11, said, hey, uh, that guy's our MVP. And what did he do? He went on Ohio State, and he's been doing outstanding things. They're going to get to play in the college football playoff. And that's just the one dude that I felt like telling you about to talk about what Trent Dilfer might do at UAB. Last on the list for me, Kevin Wilson to Tulsa. And this is mostly here because it's in my backyard. Literally, it's down the street. I got in the truck. I drove down there, and I went to go see his introductory press conference. And I was really elated to see that it was standing room only inside of the club level when Kevin Wilson was being introduced by athletic director Rick Dixon and uh, our president at the University of Tulsa, Brad Carson. I I like the hire. I really enjoy it. I understand people have their reservations for his last head coaching job at Indiana, but he was the first person to tell me, hey, I got more uh, attaboys and you're going to do great coach from my Indiana players than I did from anybody else that I've coached. And this is a man who came into onto the national stage being an offense coordinator at Oklahoma when they were humming. When it was no huddle, Sam Bradford, DeMarco Murray, we're going to slice and dice you. Only team that could beat them on a regular basis, maybe Florida. Outside of that, good luck, right? Goes to Indiana, goes bowling, gets bounced out, goes to Ohio State for six years, got there when Coach Meyer was there, stayed there through Ryan Day, helps him put together the offense and the game plan. What I found most interesting about that is that, one, 
Wilson wants the opportunity to program build, and Tulsa could use him. But I also would add in there, Tulsa's had two first-round picks in the last two years, okay? That's twice as many as the University of Texas. And not for nothing, Tyler Smith is doing the damn thing down there at Dallas. Like he, he is that anchor on a really great Dallas Cowboys team. But also in there that he was adamant. No, I'm going to give everything I got to Ohio State. When I can recruit, I'll be down here. But I need to see this through. He wants to win a national championship, even if he doesn't want to say that out loud to, to a bunch of folks in Tulsa that want to know what 2023 is going to be like. But he's earnest. Uh, he's genuine. And he was very excited to be a head coach once again. And frankly, I'm very excited to see what he is capable of doing in 2023 and beyond and not for nothing, but he, he won a big recruit earlier today with getting Braylon Braxton to return to Tulsa on a phone call, which is pretty outstanding. All right. Most impactful transfers is where we're going to go after my most impactful coaching hires. Right. And let's start with the first one for me, which is pretty interesting. And, or I guess we could say at this point, expected number one, DJ Ui Unglele. Uh, tr- choosing the trans or choosing to enter the transfer portal from Clemson after what was really an up and down year for him, and I believe he is the tooliest quarterback in all of the sport. There was a time when I believed that DJ Ui Ungulule would be better than Trevor Lawrence. That has since been proven disproven, I should say. But you saw flashes of what he's capable of when he brought Clemson from 18 down against Boston College just last year. You saw flashes of what he was capable of in South Bend against a damn good Notre Dame team. It just hasn't been able to come together for him in 2022. And frankly, Kate Klubnick has outplayed him. And it it's his job now, especially after what he was able to do in relief of DJ Uyunglele in the ACC championship against a North Carolina team that just could not keep up with that dude, who is also, quite as is kept, a five-star. That's two five-star quarterbacks. I'll be interested to see where he ends up I, I don't really have a good feel on this one. There are a lot of people that want to see him on the West Coast where he's from. I wouldn't be against that either. I also could just as easily see him coming out of the portal and going back to Clemson, right? If that's where your home is, that's where your home is. But we'll have to wait and see. But I believe that that dude is going to be a winner no matter where he goes. I also want to quickly add in here, the reason you've seen so many players enter the transfer portal on Monday, December 5th, is because that is the first day that you could enter the transfer portal with the new rules and the new cycle. So the cycle for transfer in this window is December 5th to January 19th. You're going to see him come. You're going to see him go. You're probably going to see him even re-enter and go somewhere else. Uh, Dylan Gabriel was going to go to UCLA before he went to Oklahoma. But the reason that that has come into fruition, because coaches want to be able to put a lid on it, because you could enter the transfer portal anytime you wanted. You just couldn't transfer without being in good academic standing until the end of the semester. Okay. Outside of that, if you're a grad transfer, if you're an FCS transfer, or your head coach was fired, you could enter the transfer portal, right? Those things were open to you. Now, because everybody got to enter the transfer portal for the first time, December 5th and December 6th, you've seen over 1,100 kids put their names in. Be cautious about it because you're going to get to figure out just how free market works. The statistic that I throw to people is 70% of the kids that put their name in the transfer portal do not come out somewhere new. That means they either go back to where they were or they do not come out. So kiddos, don't go in there unless you are sure. DJ Wiyunglay is obviously sure. Next one on the list for me is I think the dude that has the best possibility to be a comeback player of the year candidate in Brendan Armstrong. Because when Brendan Armstrong was slinging it at Virginia, he was one of the best quarterbacks 
in all of the sport. I mean, the stats are outrageous. Last year, he threw 449 yards, or excuse me, 4,449 yards. There's a difference there, RJ, and 31 touchdowns. And that's also while rushing for 251 yards last year. So he was a 4,731 touchdown machine. Oh, like 4,700 total yards at Virginia? That's outstanding. And frankly, going into this, I thought that the marriage between he and Tony Elliott would be outstanding. It just didn't work out that way. He threw seven touchdowns just in 12 interceptions in 2022. And I can't wait to see who gives that dude another shot. Now, it is looking like Syracuse might be a landing spot for him. And I frankly am here for that because Robert and I knows how to call an offense. And I really, really want to see him do well. And I think at Syracuse, you have that opportunity in the offense that they want to run being fast, giving your, uh, your quarterback control. I think that having a, a transfer like Brendan Armstrong can only help them. Selfishly, I would love to see Brendan Armstrong and Jeff Brom together because, my goodness, a dude that wants his quarterback to sling it all over the yard and a dude that absolutely can sling it all over the yard, that'd be a lot of fun. Next on the list for me is a guy that was off the board before he could even actually put his name into the transfer portal. It's Iowa quarterback Cade McNamara. was Michigan quarterback Cade McNamara. And I believe that McNamara is, to Michigan, what Peyton Manning was at Tennessee, what Kelly Bryant was at Clemson. The dude that demonstrated to everybody that this team is on the edge of being a national championship caliber team, but just didn't have the tools to get it over the top. The next guy comes in. He's a little bit more talented, at least at that time. T. Martin, a little bit more talented at that time. And, of course, Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence. And we know J.J. McCarthy has led his team to the college football playoff and an undefeated season so far. I believe he's 11 and 0 as a starter, but McNamara going to Iowa just made so much sense to me that when I heard that he was in the portal said, my goodness, yeah, Iowa, go get that guy because they've been a quarterback away for two years. They've had a top five defense for two consecutive years. They have been outstanding on that side of the ball, but they have been anemic, putrid, awful on the offensive side of the ball. And some of that is quarterback play. I mean, Myself and producer Tyler Wojak were at Ohio State, Iowa, and we could not believe seeing Alex Padilla and Spencer Peters throw back-to-back -back interceptions. <laughs> You're not going to get that with Kay McNamara. He ain't going to throw the ball to the other team. He's going to do a bunch of check downs. He's going to keep you moving the sticks forward. He's going to put the offense in a good position. He's also going to put the defense in a good position because when they punt the ball, it won't be from their half of the field if he can help it. I also know that he is a natural-born leader. Uh, he's extremely confident. I enjoy talking with him when Jim Harbaugh brought him to Big Ten Media Days because he was a captain for Michigan this year, even as it felt like to most people, J.J. McCarthy should and became the starting quarterback. I'm really interested to see what, if anything, Kurt Ferentz, Brian Ferentz can do new with him. But he is a capital T tough guy, and I really, really enjoy watching him play, and I'm glad that he's found a landing spot that fits his personality and whom fit him, right? It's not going to be oil and water. It's going to be, yeah, I understand Iowa football, and I can't wait to play. Also, the reverse Jake Rudock must be set. Number four on the list for me, NC State quarterback Devin Leary, right, who might be the best natural passer in the portal so far if we don't count Brendan Armstrong because 2022 wasn't so great for him. He broke Phillip Rivers' single-season record for TDs with 35 in a season last year and is the best quarterback prospect in Raleigh since Russell Wilson. And I know... Russell Wilson in Denver is not who I'm talking about. Russell Wilson, you know, when he went to Wisconsin, that's who I'm talking about. Russell Wilson at Seattle, that's what I'm talking about. So I, I don't know this dude 
over there playing for Denver right now. Neither do you. We ain't never seen anything like that from Russ. But I remember Devin Leary was drawing those comparisons in 2021 before everybody decided to just dunk on Russ's head. But I'm interested, right? Because that feels like a guy that could be the difference between you being a national championship caliber team and not. And that's why he's an impactful transfer. You put Devin Leary at a place like Notre Dame, you feel real good about a top 10 Notre Dame again, right? That's how interesting and really talented that would be. But it also feels like somebody else might beat him there if he doesn't want to make up his mind, which brings me to number five. Hudson Card has to make this list because of how he played in relief of Quinn Ewers. And frankly, how he played when he was dueling with Casey Thompson the year prior. So he came on in relief of Quinn Ewers in a game that felt like they would win if Ewers was still healthy. But I am also telling people, A, Card didn't expect to play in that game. And B, he finished the game with a, an injury to his foot. So he's a, his ability to be mobile and move around is make, makes him a little bit different than Ewers. Ewers sees the field a little bit better, but you don't need to if you're able to outrun people or get one-on-ones, and Hudson Card can do that. Notre Dame also feels like a great fit for one Hudson card, but I could see a lot of different places for him to go. Like in the back of my head, selfishly, I would like to see him at a place like Oregon state because not unlike Iowa, they just need a quarterback. They, they, they're looking at winning 10 games this year. in the, if they win their bowl game without a quarterback, like they just, whoever that they can put back there is who they put back there. They look so high school, but if you put a capable quarterback on Jonathan Smith's Beavers team, that team gets to contend for a Pac-12 championship. It's that serious. I don't think he's going to be looking at Corvallis, but I'd like to throw it out there, right? Now, outside of that, some honorable mentions I want to go through quickly. Uh, Central Michigan quarterback grad transfer Daniel Richardson. Outstanding dude at, up at CMU and also cooked Oklahoma State, at least in the second half of their game. And with Spencer Span- Sanders entering the portal, maybe Mike Gundy wants to make a phone call to the dude that passed 500 5,391 yards, 43 TDs, 13 INTs at CMU. Another is Alabama running back Trey Sanders. At one point, one of the better tailbacks coming out of anybody's uh, top five recruiting list. Like, honestly, just didn't go well in 2022. And we saw Jason Clellan, Roy Dale Williams, and of course, my goodness, uh, some outstanding play from their tailbacks uh, going into, well, basically Tennessee. But then, you know, I really wanted to be able to talk about Trey Sanders being great in that Tennessee game, but it just didn't come into fruition. I guess I'm just mad about it. Virginia cornerback Fentrell Cypress, uh, I think, would be a great fit at a place like Ohio State. They seem like they could, they need at least one other shutdown DB and one that they could stick at corner opposite a guy like Denzel Burke. I think he could be that for them. We'll see. Indiana defensive end Desan McCullough, who was the highest rated recruit to ever commit to Indiana, a place that doesn't really have the football tradition that you would expect. But at the time that he was there, his dad was on staff, right? It's not anymore. So JT Daniels is going for the Nick Starkle transfer portal merit badge, which basically is you're trying to get to your fourth program in your college football career. He's transferred from USC to Georgia to West Virginia, and now he's looking for that other program. But he's an outstanding guy, outstanding quarterback, and former five-star who beat Cincinnati in a peach bowl and was outstanding in that game, thinking that he was going to be the guy, not Stetson Bennett. That's how good he was. And he has a national championship ring. You could do a lot better than JT Daniels being your starting quarterback. And knowing that, my goodness, uh, Jamie Chadwell is just over there at Liberty, maybe he makes a phone call. We'll see. All right, quickly, on the way out, we have a holiday show schedule for you. So if you got a pin, take these down. Show release schedule for December is, uh, well, obviously you're watching this, right? This is uh, Wednesday. And then we'll have our mailbag on Thursday. 
the following week, we will have one show that is going to be our college football awards show. Some you know about, say like the Heisman or whatnot, and some you don't know about. We're going to have fun. It's going to be very involved. Been looking forward to this for a long time. And then from December 15th to December 27th, we do not have any shows for you. However, when we come back on Wednesday afternoon, December 28th, we will have our full college football playoff semifinal preview show. Looking forward to that. We're going to go on the ins and outs of both the Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl. And then Saturday, December 31st, following the second of our doubleheader in the college football playoffs, we will have a live show right here on the number one college football show for you to consume, for you to throw popcorn at, for you to let me at. Please show up. Have a good time. I enjoy those shows as much as you do. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Chaz Boulay. Our social media maven is J.B. Duncan. And I'm the host, R.J. Young. We will see y'all on Thursday. Deuces.